Today on the Matt Walsh Show, states are beginning to reopen, but churches are still being unfairly and, uh, more importantly, unconstitutionally targeted for extra restrictions that make no sense at all. Um, some churches are finally stepping up to defy these restrictions, but what took so long is the question. Also, five headlines, including CNN continuing to beclown itself, what else is new, and in our daily cancellation, we will cancel the designers and manufacturers of a hospital bed that doubles as a coffin. Yes, I'm not making that up. We'll get to all that um, on the show today. But we start here, and it's about time we start to see this. In Minnesota, a number of churches, Catholic churches mainly, but also Lutheran churches, some other churches, are going to open up um, in defiance of the directives from their state's emperor, uh, Tim Waltz. Now, opening up in general is, is not the act of defiance. Technically, they're allowed to open. They have been magnanimously, generously given permission to open by the emperor. But uh, the defiance is because they're opening at 33% capacity. At least that's what the Catholic churches are doing, which um, is quite a bit more than the 10-person limit that Emperor Waltz has decreed. Emperor Waltz has said, if you're a church, you're only allowed to have 10 people at a time. Here's the crucial point. The emperor is allowing retail shops and uh, malls and other stores like that to open at 50% capacity. Restaurants are allowed to have 50 people in their outdoor seating area. Churches, though, can only have 10. Okay, now try to make sense of this for me if you can, because I, I, I can't quite understand it. Most churches are quite a bit bigger than restaurants, and many churches are as big or bigger than big box retailers or even malls. And, but they can only have 10 people. So what, is, is the social distancing rule for churches now like 60 feet between people instead of six? Have they multiplied it by 10? It doesn't make any sense, unless you take it for what it is, which is an assault on religious liberty. And that, in fact, is what this has been from the very beginning, not just in Minnesota, but across the country. Now, we have to understand something. In order for this to be an assault on religious liberty, it doesn't have to be that governors are plotting against churches as part of some kind of anti-religious scheme. Now, I think there, there probably is an element of that in a lot of these states, but um, I think that's not really the point. What, what this is, I think, in most cases, is governors who subjectively, because he or she is not religious, just doesn't think that churches are that important or essential, as they say now. And so these governors don't think it's worth the risk to have people go to church. They just don't understand why, from their perspective, and this is, this is they've been very clear about this all along, from their perspective, it's, it's like, why would you even want to go to church in the first place? Why would you want to risk anything to go to church? So I'm doing you people a favor. I, as the emperor of the state, uh, as the governor turned emperor, I, I don't see why anybody would want to go to church. It's not important to me. And so why, why, why should it be open? Now, Walmart, okay, that's worth the risk. I, I can understand. As a, as, a, as a consumerist myself, I can understand why you, you would risk it to go to Walmart or Best Buy or uh, even Outback Steakhouse. Sure, to get the blooming onions. Okay, you're going you're, you're gonna to risk it for that. But uh, for church, no. <laughs> who, who needs churches? That's the attitude, I think. And it amounts to politicians closing churches and keeping them closed on the basis of their own opinion of churches and religion. 
And that is clearly unconstitutional. That is clearly an attack on religious liberty. And it has been, as I said, from the very beginning. We'll have more about this in just a second. But first, um, a word from Helix Sleep. You know, uh, when we're spending, as we all are, so much time with the kids these days, you're especially wiped out at night. Uh, I know that I am. I mean, not just these days, but in general, if you have young kids, you're going to be very tired and, and getting a good night's sleep. You also don't get a lot of time. When you have young kids, you don't get a lot of time allotted for sleep. Um, and uh, you never know. You know, Some nights you might get five hours. Other nights they might give you three, depending on what. And that means when you get that time, however much, it's very precious and you got to be able to sleep. And that's what Helix Sleep will help you with. Helix Sleep has a quiz that takes just two minutes to complete and matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. If you like a mattress that's really soft or firm, if you sleep on your side or on your back or on your stomach or you're, you're very hot when you sleep, um, whatever it is, with Helix, there's a specific mattress for each and everybody's unique tastes, and you can find out what that is and get the mattress for you. Just go to helixsleep.com Walsh, take their two-minute sleep quiz, just start with that, and uh, they'll take it from there. Right now, Helix is offering up to $200 and free pillows with all mattresses for our listeners at helixsleep.com Walsh. That's helixsleep.com Walsh for up to $200 off your mattress order. Go there now. Okay. Um, you know, the other thing to keep in mind, though, when we, when we talk about the church issue, um, we talk about this idea of essential versus non-essential. The point about religion is whether you think that religious, religious worship itself is an essential activity, and I believe that it is, but whether you do or not, the point is that the right is essential. It is an essential right, essential, essential in the deeper sense of the word, not essential like important. And that's what we, when this word essential has been tossed around so much and places have been shut down or allowed to stay open based on it, it always just means essential as in important. Important to whom? Well, the, according to the governor, it's important to us, but really it's important to him. And so he's, he's the one deciding. But that's not what we're talking about. Uh, there's a deeper sense of the word essential. Essential doesn't just mean important. It means, it means inherent to our nature. So the right to practice our religion is essential in that it's inherent to our nature. And that's what it says in so many words in the First Amendment. And that's what the fa- our founding fathers believed. And that's the idea that our country was founded upon. We have allowed over these past two months the government to redefine religious liberty as non-essential, which is another way of saying we've allowed them to define it out of existence. Because if a right is not essential, then it isn't inherent. And if a right is not inherent, then it doesn't exist. That's what human rights are. They're essential to our nature. If they're not essential to our nature, then we don't have them. It's not, then it's, uh, it's at best a privilege. And that's indeed how these tin pot dictators in governor's mansions see religious liberty, and that's how they want us to see it. Now, churches in Minnesota are finally stepping up and saying, enough, no, we're not going to go along with this. We are going to exercise our rights with or without your approval, because your approval is irrelevant. You know, they're saying, we're going to open up the way that we think is safe. Because it's not like we're a bunch of suicidal nihilists, quite the opposite. We're not trying to get anybody hurt. 
But we think people have a right to worship and they need to. It is essential. And so we're going to open up. We're going to do it in a safe way. But we are, we are going to decide what is safe. We don't need a bureaucrat or a politician to tell us the safe way to do it. We'll decide. Um, that's what the, uh, the bishops in Minnesota are saying. That's what churches are saying. The question, though, is whether it's too late. Has the damage already been done? The fact is that churches all across America, with few exceptions, obeyed, um, allowed themselves to be closed, submitted to a ban on public worship. Think about that. Okay, a ban on public worship. Let's not get to the point where we're so used to the, to the idea that it doesn't shock us anymore. It should shock you. Even after, all, even after two months, it should shock you. There was and still is in this country a ban on public worship in America, in a country that was literally founded to escape that sort of tyranny. And churches, most of them went along with it. Now they're not. Good. Why did they ever, is the question. From what I've read um, and some of the emails I've gotten, a lot of you know, police departments, sheriff departments, around Minnesota are saying they're not going to enforce this. Um, so these churches, they, they are not going to go into churches and start, and start hauling people away in cuffs. They're just not going to do it. They're going to refuse to. Well, you know, and, and if they don't, which, which, which I think they will refuse to, because what, what, what are they really going to? If you've got churches all across Minnesota open, um, are they really going to march into hundreds of churches and start hauling people away in chains? No, they're not going to do that. They were never going to do that. So you call their bluff successfully. Could have done it from the beginning. What's going to happen now, I'll tell you this, is eventually we can, we can look to the horizon and we can see um, one of the most important Supreme Court cases that, that will be before the court in the next few years. And that's going to be, be a case about, you know, centered around this idea of whether or not the government has the authority to define um, religious worship as non-essential. And depending on who wins in 2020 and depending on what happens, you know, I, I don't have a lot of confidence that they're going to come down on the right side of that. I mean, imagine the Supreme Court, depending on what its makeup is by the time a few years from now, by the time this, 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 a, a case like this appears before them, uh, imagine the Supreme Court actually codifies into law and says, yeah, you know what? Religious worship is not essential. Imagine the ramifications of that. Virus or no virus, pandemic or no pandemic. That's, that's essentially the end of religious liberty in America. Okay, let's go to um, headlines. Number one, pretty big news here, folks. Joe Biden has finally come up with a nickname for President Trump. Speaking to the Asian American and Pacific Islander Victory Funds, uh, progressive summit, that's what it is, Biden said, Trump is out there tweeting again this morning. I call him President Tweety. Eh. See, this one is disappointing for me, personally, from Biden. I was expecting something a little bit more old-timey, maybe like, Donald the Dunderhead, you know, something like that. I just, I don't think President Tweedy lives up to the expectations that I, that I had. And by the way, Trump's nickname for Biden, Sleepy Joe, is, is also super lame. Creepy Joe. This is one of the biggest missed opportunities in, in modern politics. You go with Sleepy Joe rather than Creepy Joe? 
it's it the two words rhyme creepy is a, a lot you know when you think of joe biden do you think oh that guy is super sleepy what a sleepy guy that, that he is no you think that guy's creepy that's a that's a weird creepy dude I mean, even, you know, even senile Joe would work. I mean, something like that. I just think sleepy doesn't, doesn't work. Perhaps more to the point, though, um, even aside from all that, we, we, we should remember that these men are in their 70s. Okay. Uh, Barack, uh, Barack Obama. Donald Trump is what, 74? Something like that? 73, 74? Um, Joe Biden is 78. Will be 79. And this is what they're reduced to. You're a sleepy Joe. No, I'm not. You're you're President Tweety. I'm telling Dad. We live in the dumbest time, folks. We really do. The dumbest time. And let me just say one other thing about this. Lest you accuse me of being offended or scandalized by the insults. I'm not at all. I, I have no problem with, with politicians insulting each other. Let me be very clear about that. They all deserve... All politicians deserve to be insulted, so it's good that they're providing this service to each other. I'm a big fan of that. I'm a big fan of politicians being insulted. I think that's one of the things that they're there for. Um, and so if they're insulting each other, I'm, I, I love it. I'm on board with that. It's just, and yes, politicians have always been vicious to each other. I'm fine with that too. Quite, they were quite a bit more vicious back in the day, in fact. My problem is that politicians these days are simpletons. Who, who, who insult each other like children, like sixth graders. Now, back in the day, they were at least articulate and eloquent and creative about it. Look at some of the insults that, that uh, Teddy Roosevelt used to throw around. Okay, now there was a man who know, knew how to insult people. A few of my favorites, um, he said, I think it was about a, a, uh, an author, he said that uh, he called him a, a little emasculated mass of inanity. Okay, that's a good one. Infernal skunk, another good one. Well-meaning, pinheaded, anarchistic crank. Those are insults, okay? These amateurs nowadays wouldn't know what hit them if old Teddy showed up with his uh, insult cannons loaded. All right, number two, famously, um, infamously, I guess I should say, part of the coronavirus stimulus bill was this enhanced unemployment measure that gave people an extra, what was it, 600 bucks a month, uh, or a week, actually. Extra $600 a week people were getting, are getting on unemployment during the coronavirus. Um, the big problem is that now people aren't going back to work because they can make more on unemployment. And I have heard this specifically from business owners many times, that they're having trouble hiring people back. Think about that. Imagine it. 35 million people unemployed. And some business owners are having trouble hiring people. You know, um, because these there are a lot of people who can make more on unemployment. So just a spectacularly stupid measure from the government, once again, trying to save the economy by incentivizing unemployment. Brilliant plan. Well, cocaine Mitch, Mitch McConnell, is getting, uh, getting heat today because he has pledged to end this incentive, and he's right to do so. You know, he's saying on the next uh, stimulus bill, there's, this isn't, this isn't going to be in there. This is going away. Um, and that's that's the right thing. It's very easy to say, oh, you mean man trying to take money away from unemployed people. Businesses need workers people, and people need to work. We aren't going to have an economic recovery if we're literally paying people to sit at home. That's not how you re-spark, restart the engine of the economy. So it's time to end this madness. 
And once again, that is not to say that people should be forced to, to go back to work. Don't accuse me of saying that we should force people to go back to work. I don't believe that. All I'm saying is that they shouldn't be paid to not work. That's the point. Uh, we'll go to the third headline in a second. But first, uh, I want to tell you about another one of our, our sponsors. And uh, before I do that, you know, just uh, uh, I should also take the opportunity to thank our all of our sponsors, uh, ExpressVPN, who I'm about to tell you about, uh, all of our sponsors for supporting this show, supporting The Daily Wire during uh, this, this time. And uh, thank all of you for supporting The Daily Wire as well. And, um, and I would just ask you if you, you know, if you have the extra money, um, as of course not everybody does, but if you do and you're looking for you know, a, a product along the lines of one of the ones you hear us talking about on the show, then, uh, then definitely give these sponsors a look and uh, consider, consider supporting them as well. Okay, now ExpressVPN. Um, right now people are online more than ever, you know, spending uh, an awful lot of time online. And I can say with full confidence that ExpressVPN is the best VPN on the market, and it's one that you definitely need, especially now. And here's why. ExpressVPN doesn't log your data. Lots of really cheap or free VPNs make money by selling your data to ad companies, which partially defeats the purpose. So you don't want that. ExpressVPN developed a technology called Trusted Server that makes it impossible for their servers to log any of your info. Also, here's another fact, speed. You know, I've tried lots of VPNs in the past. And many of them slow down your connection or make your device sluggish, especially for what I do for a living. I can't, I can't have that. I need to have the high speeds. And so that's why ExpressVPN is great for me. I think it'll be great for you too. Something else that really sets ExpressVPN apart from others is how easy it is to use. Unlike other VPNs, you don't have to input or program anything, which again, great for me. I'm computer illiterate, even though I work on a computer every day, all day. Um, ExpressVPN is the way to go. So protect yourself with the VPN that I use and I trust. Use my link at expressvpn.com slash Walsh today and get an extra three months free on a one-year package. That's expressvpn.com slash Walsh. Visit expressvpn.com slash Walsh to learn more. Okay, number three. Um, I'll tell you this uh, the story first, and then I'll show you the picture. A man named Dustin Matthew Sneed, age 30, was arrested for setting his grandmother's living room on fire with two dogs inside. Now, the dogs escaped and were fine. Grandmother was fine. Everybody's fine. The living room was not so fine. Um, but that's the story. And now, here's the, uh, here it is. Here's the mugshot. Here's, there he is, Dustin Matthew Sneed right there. You know, I got to say, I didn't think that Seth's grandma's living room on fire was a look. But apparently it is, because that's it. That's the look. Like if you went to Hot Topic and said, I want to look like someone who sets my grandmother's house on fire, that's what they would hook you up with. As if Hot Topic has professional stylists on staff. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if it works out. I haven't been there in a while uh, because of the shutdown. I mean, usually that's where I do all my shopping. Anyway, uh, so, so there it is. I mean, I guess the good news is, though, if, if you're a parent and your son looks like that and he's 30 years old, and so far, the worst thing he's done is set your mother's house on fire. You'd be pretty relieved, I think, actually. Assuming that's the worst thing he's done. Based on where the bar is set, right? Like, when, when the cops finally show up at your house and, and say, sir, your son. And as soon as you hear that, you're thinking, oh my God, here we go. Here it goes. And then he finishes it with, your son set your mother's house on fire. 
I think your reaction would almost be relief. You would say, that's it? Wow. Okay, well, good. I mean, not good. It's not good, but just I, 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 I didn't know where this was going. So, all right. Um, number four, let's take a look at a, a, bright stop, a bright spot that is some positive news. This is uh, Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida. And I do call him governor. He's, he's one who is still governor, not emperor. He hasn't been acting like an emperor. He's been acting like a governor who actually cares about governing and not controlling. Imagine that. Well, he's been blasted by the media relentlessly for months. And why? For the crime of doing a great job dealing with the coronavirus. You know, he's, he's, he's done one of the best jobs, if not the best job in the entire country. And for that, he's been blasted by the media. Finally, he uh, stood up for himself in front of the media and let the media have it. And uh, this is just great stuff. Watch. Our data is available. Our data is transparent. In fact, Dr. Burks has talked multiple times about how Florida has the absolute best data. So any insinuation otherwise is just typical partisan narrative trying to be spun. And part of the reason is that because you got a lot of people in your profession who waxed poetically for weeks and weeks about how Florida was going to be just like New York. Wait two weeks, Florida's going to be next. Just like Italy, wait two weeks. Well, hell, we're eight weeks away from that, and it hasn't happened. Not only do we have a lower death rate, well, we have way lower deaths generally, we have a lower death rate than the Acela Corridor, D.C., everyone up there. We have a lower death rate than the Midwest, Illinois, Michigan, Indiana, Ohio. But even in our region, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, Florida has the lower death rate. And I was the number one landing spot from tens of thousands of people leaving the number one hot zone in the world to come to my state. So we've succeeded, and I think that people just don't want to recognize it because it challenges their narrative, it challenges their assumption. So they got to try to find a boogeyman. Maybe it's that there are black helicopters circling the Department of Health. If you believe that, um, I got a bridge in Brooklyn I'd like to sell you. Glorious, absolutely glorious. And everything you said there, 100% true. I loved every second of that. Number five, finally, as, as we have covered extensively on the show, and we just talked about Governor DeSantis. He, he's done one of the best jobs. Governor Cuomo of New York, despite being hailed by the media as the coronavirus slayer, the corona slayer, um, he has done by far the worst job of any governor. And not just because he's had the most deaths, although he has by a mile, but because he's directly responsible for the deaths of thousands of elderly people in nursing homes because he forcibly introduced the infection into nursing homes by mandating that nursing homes accept coronavirus patients. Many, many, many people died um, as a result of that, as a direct result of that. Now, in spite of this, rather than grilling Cuomo and getting answers, CNN has him on all the time for these cutesy little chat sessions with his uh, younger brother, Chris. And yesterday, the cutesiness entered a terminal stage. Watch this. You had video come out before we go to break, where you wanted to encourage people to get tested and some people are afraid it's going to hurt. So you had video of it that I want to show the audience of you actually getting tested. Um, here it is. There's you. You were kind of funny and they were testing you. Um, now, a few questions about this process. First of all, is it true that when you were having the test administered, you inhaled and the doctor's finger went all the way up your nose and got stuck and had to be released with a tool. Is that true? Just to, just to deal no, with the record. She, she, she wanted to comment that I have a little button nose mm. and she was afraid that the swab would actually hurt because it 
it extended my uh, nasal cavity. The proboscis uh, issue. You're speaking about the delicacy of, of, the, nose. of the nose. Yes. And that's what, you know what, I understand. This is the normal swab I'm holding up here now for everybody at home. A very valuable object. There's only one company in the entire country that makes these up in Maine. All right, here's the swab. Is it true that this was the swab that the nurse was actually using on you? Okay, stop. Just, 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 just stop. I, I can't even, I can't watch anymore. Okay, the, the joke is that the Q-tips keep getting bigger. You get it? Because he's got a big nose. And the bit goes on for a while longer. We keep getting bigger and bigger Q-tips. Hilarious stuff, right? Little, little comedy bit. This is a news show. This is a news anchor, allegedly, talking to a politician who is at the center of a deadly scandal. And this is what we get. A two-minute routine on his big nose. Really embarrassing for CNN. And as I said before, just imagine the reaction if, um, if you know, Fox News gave Don Jr., uh, you know, some time, some segments to interview his dad, you know, once a week. And, and they have these kinds of little back and forth things. Do you, do you think that people on the left and the media would, would say, oh, isn't that so nice and so relatable? No. They would say this is an assault on journalism. It's the death of journalism. Democracy dies in darkness, blah, 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 so on and so forth. And they'd be right in a way. And we're right in pointing that out about CNN right now. Okay, let's move on to our daily cancellation. And canceled today are the makers of uh, this bed that I'll show you in a second. According to The Telegraph, a factory in Columbia is making hospital beds that can be turned into a coffin if the patient dies. Not a joke, as far as I know. They, they have a video. Let's, uh, let's watch the video together. So it says a Colombian designer design company are making hospital cardboard hospital beds. You see the person there in the... That could be easily turned into a coffin if the patient dies. Oh, my gosh. This is horrifying. Now, that's, that's not a real dead person there, I don't think. So she's just modeling it for us. And it's literally a cardboard box, okay? These cardboard beds are made for people with coronavirus. Oh, isn't that nice? Isn't that thoughtful? And they just put a lid. They put a cardboard lid on the top of it. That's a, it's just, it's like a, it's a refrigerator box. They invented a refrigerator box that they're putting dead people in. Okay, and there's a design process there. What must these people be, what are the, the people at the factory making this? What are they thinking right now? That's my question. Hospital beds and coffins are in short supply. So, all right, so you just combine them. Okay, there you go. Um, all I can say is it, it, it's got to be a bad sign when they transfer you into that bed. I can just imagine the doctor coming in, looking at my chart, and then saying, okay, Mr. Walsh, every, everything's looking uh, fine for now. Tell you what, we're just going to move you into this bed over here. Don't worry, nothing to be concerned about. We won't put the lid on yet. And besides, don't the families take charge of the bodies for the burial? Isn't that like usually how this works? Is, is the family going to want to bury their loved one in the cardboard box they died in? I, I, I can't. Ma'am, I regret to inform you that your husband has died. Now, would you like him in our to-go box or did you bring your own? It's not, you know, I'm, I'm not laughing about it. It's very serious. And uh, 
actually it's inspired me because convenience is everything, right? So I've invented, I have come up with a, a prototype. Uh, it's a recliner for your home, you know, like a lazy boy, but it doubles as an electric chair in case you ever become a convicted murderer. And then no need to go through the whole rigmarole of the death, death row and everything. They just, you know, you, you're sitting in the, the chair, they just flip a switch and, uh, and that's it. And then they can put you in the cardboard box. So it's a, kind of like a product tie-in. That's marketing for you. Uh, this is getting pretty grim. I apologize. Anyway, um, so the people who came up with that are canceled for obvious reasons. Pretty horrifying. Let's move on to emails. And you can always email the show by becoming a Daily Wire member. Um, and you get access to the mailbag as, long, as well as many other perks. This is from Kelly. says, hey, Matt, I was listening to your show yesterday about Drag Story Hour at public libraries. It made me wonder what you think these same parents who take their kids to these would think if they happen to see a Bible study hour with a bishop or priest reading to children. I feel like I know the answer. I'd just like to hear you rant about how crazy leftists are. Thanks for the great show. Uh, well, right, Kelly, the, the answer, and it's a good point, but the answer is exactly what you think the answer is. In fact, these same people would not only object, but invariably they would claim that that's a violation of church and state, of the separation of church and state. Because libraries are quasi-government facilities. Uh, and maybe they'd have a point. You know, um, I don't know. I, I, I don't think they would. I think it'd be fine. But, but there would be an argument at least. And that's why I would say that Drag Queen Story Hour is the same kind of thing as a, sep as a violation of separation of church and state. You know, just because progressivism is godless doesn't mean it isn't a religion. It is, it is certainly a religion with its own supernatural beliefs. In fact, the, the religion of progressivism has the most implausible supernatural belief of any religion on earth in that they believe a man can magically turn into a woman by putting on a dress. I, I'm not aware of any religion that has a belief like that. And these drag queen story hours are like religious rituals for those in the religion of progressivism. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's not something... Now, if you want to... Do that in some private uh, facility, then you can. Although, actually, even there, I would I would object to it. In fact, I think even there, it should be illegal because it's sexual abuse, it's sexual grooming of children. So even there, I'm not okay. But doing it at a library is all the worse. Um, it's just not. In, in fact, the only way saying that this is like a religious ritual for them, I think probably cuts them too much slack. Because it's either that or it's just straight up sexual grooming of children. Uh, probably it's both, I think, in the end. It's, it's, a, it's a bit of both. There is no other reason. Like, you want to have a story hour. You want to have um, kids go to the library and hear a story. Great. You know, libraries have been doing that forever. I, I remember when I was a kid, we would go to the library for story hour. But you know what? We, we would sit in a little room and uh, the librarian would come in and read to us. Okay? That, that's, that's, so you, I understand why you have the story hour. Why do you need a man dressed up like a woman in a Tim Burton movie, which is how all drag queens dress for some reason, um, why do you need him to read it? That, that's the part that doesn't make sense. And, until you understand it as 
a sort of religious ritual and as sexual grooming of children, which is what it is. Okay, let's go to Aaron says, hi, Matt, just wanted to get your take on what seems to be an unpopular opinion by me. I know you, uh, you homeschool, so maybe you aren't the best person to ask, but I will anyway. We currently pay a lot of property taxes to our school district. In my opinion, for these taxes, the school district is responsible for providing curriculum as well as instruction on that curriculum. Since the virus has shut down schools, my elementary age children has, have been, um, or child has been provided curriculum, but not any virtual instruction by his teachers. I have had to cut my hours at work in order to be his new teacher. Everyone has their skill sets and being a teacher is not one of mine. I feel like I'm due a refund on my property taxes. Since they're only doing 50% of their responsibilities, I should be allocated a pro rata part of my taxes back. If this is too harsh, I should at least be refunded for the saved utilities and overhead costs of support staff that have uh, done nothing during the shutdown. What's your take on this? Well, Aaron, you're not going to hear any pushback on me. I mean, I'm, not, I'm not the guy to give you pushback on that. I absolutely agree 100%. Generally, if you propose any idea that has people paying less in taxes or getting tax money back, I'm going to be in favor of it. I don't think I've ever heard an idea I didn't like when it comes to people paying less. You don't even have to, you don't have to go any further. You start with, I have this idea about paying less in taxes. Yep, I'm in favor. I don't care. I don't even care what you say. Everybody who wears a green shirt on Tuesday has to pay, you know, owes 40% less in income taxes. Sounds good to me. Um, I am always a huge fan. And I'll tell you why. Because I'm always a huge fan of the government making less money. Any way that we can go about doing that, I'm in favor of. And um, with this idea, though, the argument in favor of it is particularly strong. So, yes, I agree. From Steve says, hi, Matt. I know you tend to be anti-vax, but what do you think of these people pledging that they won't get a coronavirus vaccine? I think it's extremely irresponsible. Getting a vaccine isn't just about protecting you. It's about protecting those around you as well. Just seems very selfish to me. And I've seen some conservatives I respect make these statements. Well, Steve, I'm not sure where you got the idea that I'm anti-vax. Um, I'm not. Uh, I don't see vaccines as something that it makes sense to be anti or pro in relation to them. See, it really depends on the vaccine and on the person getting it and on the circumstance, right? Doesn't it? It would be like if you asked me, am I pro-medicine? Well, I'm not anti-medicine, certainly, but that doesn't mean that I think all medicines are good for all people all the time, obviously. So the pro or anti-dichotomy doesn't make a lot of sense, or at least it's not helpful when it comes to medicine, and I don't think it's helpful when it comes to vaccines. Um, here's what I know about vaccines. They should be a choice. I don't believe in government forcing needles into people's arms. I, I just, I don't like that idea at all. And people should evaluate and research any substance before putting it into their bodies. Any substance that you're about to have injected into your body, you should know something about. I don't think that's a radical point of view. I don't think that's an anti-vax point of view. Um, and I would, again, I, I can't think of a substance that you would have injected into your body that I think you, you shouldn't do some research on or understand ahead of time. Um, so that's my take. You know, now, on the... Uh, coronavirus vaccine, it's impossible for me to say whether I'm for it or against it right now because it doesn't exist. And so it's theoretical. Um, it, 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 it may never exist. Who knows? We don't even know if it will. 
If it does, when it does, again, it should be evaluated and researched and people should make a free choice whether or whether to not take it. If they rush the vaccine and they have one available like in the wintertime, if there's a vaccine available in December of 2020, which I doubt, but if it is, I'm going to be pretty nervous about that. I, I can, I could say right now, um, I don't like the idea of having someone rush something into production and then me injecting it into my body. So I'm, I'm going to be wary of that. But if a reasonable amount of time has passed and um, a vaccine comes out and it's safe and it's not being forced on me, then I might take it. Sure. All depends, really. Again, I don't think vaccines are an issue where we should be dogmatic. And I feel that way on the other side, too, to be clear. The people who, I mean, there are people who are anti-vax, of course. We all know that. And there are people who, you know, they're just against all vaccines across the board. They don't like any of them, without exception. I think that's also silly, and I think it's also absurdly dogmatic. Um, and that's just not how I look at this issue. I, I, I think it's a damn shame that something like a vaccine has become a political, ideological issue. They're... they're and I'm, you know, I'm someone that I, I can easily find the ideology uh, in, in almost anything. I mean, I, I can turn almost anything into an ideological issue. Vaccines, though, are one thing that I just don't see it. I, I don't see it as ideological or political. It's a vaccine. It's a, it's a substance, right? And, and you find out the facts on it, and the facts are the facts, and that's it. That's my, that's my take. Sorry if you were expecting something a little bit more fiery, but uh, that's all I got. So I think we're going to wrap it up there. Um, tomorrow I'll be, I'll be off, but have a great Memorial Day weekend, everybody. Um, hopefully your state has enough things open that you can you know, actually go out and enjoy yourself. And I'll talk to you next week. Godspeed. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, and The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Our technical producer is Austin Stevens, edited by Danny D'Amico, and our audio is mixed by Robin Fenderson. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production, copyright Daily Wire 2020. Hey everyone, it's Andrew Clavin, host of The Andrew Clavin Show. Here's the real Chinese virus story. Joe Biden is a wooden ventriloquist dummy and the people doing the talking are socialists. Their mission is to save failing leftist states with money from successful red states. It's not what you're getting from the MSM, but you'll get it on The Andrew Clavin Show. I'm Andrew Clavin.